This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Pavalli, coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous, so ecstatic that the Utah Jazz did not trade for Otto Porter at the deadline, co-host Andrew D. Valley. We are, for the first time in a long time, since the schedule allows, and we, we have a light week with only one podcast, we're diving into uh, a mailbag. Andy is very excited. I could already just sense it from the other side of, of this mic, um, or my mic. That was a really weird thing to say, but I'm going to press on anyway. Before we get started, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. It means a lot to us when we see those numbers go up. Um, if you've already subscribed, go on iTunes, give us a review, write a review, uh, if you've done all of that as well, please recommend us to someone. Give a shout out on Twitter. We appreciate it all. Uh, just let us know that you enjoy it. Oh, and if you have any feedback, of course, please just send it our way. But with that done and finished, we have to get to the question that everyone is dying to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm always excited to dive into these mailbags like Scrooge McDuck. Wow. <laughs> That's like the gif was just playing in my head, which is why it took me so long to answer. <laughs> the reference came to me like 10 seconds ago, and then I, as soon as I dropped it, I was like, wow, has he never seen Scrooge McDuck jump into a pile of money? No, it was just that it was playing, the gif was playing in my head. So <laughs> I was actually expecting some sort of Otto Porter rebuke to start things. Um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, Utah just, what a weird deadline for them. The couple beat reporters were constantly like, oh, no, they're being aggressive. They're being aggressive. And then all of a sudden, 15 minutes before the deadline, Mike Conley is no longer on the market. Um, I don't I don't even remember when Porter was traded. What was it, like an hour or two before the deadline? Um, he was traded the night before, was he not? Or no, am I making that up too? When, whenever that broke, and it was like Otto Porter for Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, and a 20-23 second, I, was, I just thought, are you kidding me? Um, I forgot about the pick, to be honest. You asked me about it, if they got a pick I, yesterday, and I, I didn't even hesitate. And I was like, I don't think so. Well, it, it, it might as well not be. I had to look it up. It's protected, and it's not until 2023. So it's kind of one of those fake picks to me. Um, I just – he would have been so, so good next to Rudy Gobert at the four. But, what it, I mean, it is what it is. Jazz fandom in 2019. Yeah, they've uh, 
we we won't rehash this because we already went over it in the previous pod. But they, I think they they really messed up by not doing anything at the trade deadline. Yeah, they uh, especially when they the the news broke that Porter was you know back on the market. Essentially, I don't. I'm sure they someone called. They had they they knew. Um, I don't know if they were just so deep in Mike Conley talks that they thought. I guess, yeah. Maybe they just had the rug pulled out from under him at the last minute um, on Conley. But Maybe the Wizards are just that high on paying Bobby Portis this summer. <laughs> Portis. He, he, he's, uh, I feel like he's kind of the next Jeff Green. Like some team's going to talk themselves into Bobby Portis year after year after year. And he'll do a few things to get people excited, but then he'll, you know, work his way back into the sort of below average player that he is. They, I mean, he's been playing well for them. I'm just interested to see what they end up paying all these guys in some because there were there were the reports that they want to keep Trevor Ariza. If they want to keep one of Portis and Jabari, they want to keep Jeff Green. They don't have bird rights on him. Sadoransky is going to be a restricted free agent. If they end nope. up, they might just end up back where they were payroll wise if they pay three of those guys. Are they under the tax this season? Yeah, they're under the tax. Nope. Okay. Because they're going to have to go into it to sign all these guys, I would think. I mean, it's possible that they don't. Portis's number would be higher, I would guess. Between Portis and Sadoransky, I'd probably pay Sadoransky more, in a nutshell. But well, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what the market does to both of them. Yeah. they. Who knows what the Wizards are doing? I think that's a that should be their slogan for 2019-2020. <laughs> the Wizards, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Ellipsis, whatever. <laughs> Should we dive into these questions? Yep, let's do it. All right, I'm going to start with one from at Bucks Film Room. Why are people still sleeping on the Bucks? Are they? I guess that's a valid question. I feel like they kind of are. Um, I think a lot of people are still calling Toronto to win the East, which is fine. I think Toronto's ceiling is very, very high. But I think your question is probably valid. I feel like I've heard more about the Bucks in the last couple of weeks than I did before that. But I still think people might not, you know, fully appreciate how good they've been. Um, their SRS is top 20 all time, which is just point differential plus strength of schedule. Giannis's numbers, um, I feel like we've almost become kind of numb to crazy stat lines this season. I I looked at some numbers the other day that game score just, it kind of takes everything from a basic box score and puts it into one number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 20 and up is pretty good, kind of like points. Not pretty good. 20 and up is good. It's, it's you know, like scoring 20 points in the game. The, the highest average game score 15 years ago was Kevin Garnett, and it was around 20. And this season, we have like 15 guys above that. Um, Rudy Gobert is right around there, just for frame of reference. Like We're getting crazy, crazy stat lines. And now I'm, I feel like I'm kind of off the topic of a question. But what I was thinking is Giannis is putting up just absurd numbers, like stuff that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was doing in the 70s and 80s. And he's doing it in 33 minutes a game, and they are just crushing teams. Um I, I am almost to the point where I think they're a very real threat to the Warriors. Uh, I I think everyone still has to kind of default to Warriors are going to win the finals. 
Uh, but I'm I'm coming around on the idea that the Bucks might be able to steal it. Is that crazy? No, they're one of the two biggest threats, and I, I think you have to leave open the possibility to make cases for the Raptors and the Celtics if they're going to be fully healthy and their chemistry is just clicking. And Gordon Hayward seems like he's been playing better, so that's that's good for them. But it, I, as someone who picked Toronto to come out of the East during the regular season and who has stood by that all year, the Bucks are a team that's definitely made me think, particularly over the past few weeks. It's I don't know if I just haven't been paying attention to like the 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 nitty gritty uh, four factor standings, but they've quietly built the best defense in the NBA. Yeah, I didn't know that until I heard it on a podcast the other day. And they're just, they don't foul anymore. Uh, They're a better defensive rebounding team. They're built to play stylistically any way that you throw at them. When Miritich is healthy, there's just, there are so many different lineup combinations that they can roll out there. They're going to be hell to mess with in the playoffs. And I, I guess it's, we could still count it against them that they don't have that second star. But when you have Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, and and Malcolm Brogdon all playing as they are, yeah, I, you, I don't know that you need that true second star. And it would it would not surprise me if they went to the NBA Finals. But I think we could still say the same thing about the Raptors, and you could, yeah. I think you could still say it about the Celtics slash Sixers. But if we're just talking strictly Eastern Conference or biggest threats to the Warriors in the league, no matter whether or not I come around on the Bucks as as the biggest threat. And that would basically just mean that I'm I'm done on the Raptors, who have I think in some respects underachieved. Uh, though maybe the, the addition of Marcus Gasol changes that. Their offense already looks kind of kind of cool. But straying from my point, the Bucks are right there. I think they're one of the two biggest threats to the Warriors, without question. Yeah, I think maybe uh, maybe more than the Bucks being slept on, guys like Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon are kind of being slept on. Um, just because Middleton's an all-star, Giannis Antetokounmpo is understandably getting a ton of attention, but those two guys, and, and Brooke Lopez is getting a lot of attention too, but I think those two guys have been really, really good. Um, yeah, Brogdon is just, I've said this before too, it's, sometimes I don't even realize it, and then you look up and he has like 17 points, and it just, yeah, he's scoring he's like a ton. He's the 15-point, 50-40-90 player ever. <laughs> um, What's really changed for them too is their ability to just play without Giannis. Yeah. Their their most used lineup without him is Eric Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Ilyasova, and Brooke Lopez. That five-man group per cleaning the glass has a net rating of 22.4. Wow. I would not have guessed that. Their defensive rating is an 88.8. Wow. That's Yeah, that's scary. That's big time. Yeah. All right, before I move on, Brogdon's averaging 15.8 points, shooting 50.6% from the field, 40.8% from three, and 93.8% from the line. That seems good. Is that good? Yeah. Um, All right, Adam Cubbage at DA Cubbage asks, is there a scenario where Trey Young, John Collins, and Ja Morant could coexist on the same team next year, or is there someone who fits better? I can take this one first if you want. <clears throat> can you repeat that? Is there a scenario where Trey Young, so we're talking about the Hawks, John Collins, and John ja Morant um, 
who's currently number two on Tankathon's big board. He's at Murray State, six three point guard who averages um, let's see here, twenty four points, ten assists, two steals a game. Um, he only shoots thirty two and a half percent from three, but the raw production is insane for him. Um, is there a chance those three guys could coexist on the Hawks, or is there someone who fits better? To me, I I think Atlanta, if they end up with like a top three, four, five pick, I I would think they would want one of the bigger, you know, combo forward or wing type guys. Like even Cam Reddish, who's been I think underwhelming this season, would make more sense for Atlanta. Um, a combination of him and Herder on the wings is interesting to me. John Morant would be fun there. It's just that's suddenly a backcourt that's so small. <laughs> if you're going to try to play Trey Young and him together. And all of a sudden, Kevin Herter's your three. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be – that would be very problematic. I mean, ultimately, um, obviously, I should say, uh, the prize for them would be if they landed number one. And I I think a Trey Young, uh, Zion Williams, and John Collins big three is, is – that's one of the most exciting possibilities for Zion for me. But uh, I don't I don't even know where Atlanta is in the uh, odds right now. Right now they only have a 10.5% shot. It's actually higher than I would have thought. And again, the the spread out um, lottery odds take me a little bit by surprise. Their 10.5% chance is not that much worse than the 14% that Phoenix, New York, and Cleveland all have. Um, So if they wind up with Zion, I'm going to send the lottery one time. Um, And they drop down to seven there. And I, I haven't done enough draft homework to know who I'd really like around that range. But if they end up in the top five, um, I think one of the bigger wings makes makes more sense for them than John Morant does. Yeah, they would have to – maybe they would trade out of number two if they ended up there. I wouldn't think – that's why the question threw me off at first is I don't – if you were going to take a swing, it like for that type of backcourt, it, it seems like it'd be – that you need someone bigger and there just might not be a path to even playing two point guards when you have Trey young as one of them. So it's, I, maybe it'd be interesting, but I'd rather see John Morant probably anywhere else. And that's not an insult to the Hawks. I'd be way more intrigued by the fit with obviously Zion. I'm not an RJ Barrett guy. Some people think he's going to be really good. I'd love to see Cam Reddish in Atlanta. I think he would be fantastic there, but I'm with you. I think they go with, a, a wing or a combo forward depending on where they fall and if they if it is like clearly because right now I think there's still a debate what happens after Zion if we get to the draft lottery or the draft itself and they're in that number two spot and John Moran is the clear number two prospect and maybe he, he sh- he's shooting like he closes out his, his collegiate career shooting really well from three or something I would still expect Atlanta to maybe trade out of that spot before actually drafting him yeah all right, Josh Roberts at JJazz3. Explain why you think there's such a chasm between Jokic Analytics Twitter and Rose iTest Twitter. Or do you think LeBron, good mix Twitter, is actually more prevalent, just not as loud? Wait, what was the last part? <laughs> um, so I think, his, I think his categories are actually pretty funny. Um, there's Jokic Analytics Twitter, Rose, test, Rose iTest Twitter, and LeBron, good mix Twitter. LeBron, good Knicks, good mix Twitter. Sorry, I was. I, so, I think it's. I think it's just because a lot of these numbers are still pretty new, um, and 
basketball has really been viewed and analyzed one way for the entire time that ex- that it has existed. Um, and over the course of its existence, there's been kind of a subculture that has developed. Um, and then, you know, NBA fans have just looked at things the same way for so long. They've talked about things the same way for so long. And suddenly there are these numbers. And in a lot of cases, they sort of challenge the status quo. Um, and that's, it's just, I think it's a hard shakeup for people who've been watching for a long time. Yeah, it's, I mean, I just want to point out, am I the only one who doesn't enjoy watching Derrick Rose play basketball? My eye test is just never like. That's, it's I'm, kind of funny because a lot of guys that the eye test crowd loves, I'm with you. They're just, they're not that enjoyable to watch to me. Um, but I don't know. Keep going. Well, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head is that there are these these preconceived notions about certain players. And I feel like there's more pushback against previous players where they, again, we've had those preconceived notions where I think we can look back and make a case that Kobe Bryant and Allen Iverson are some of the most overrated basketball players ever. And that's not to say they weren't great, but I I feel like that's where the pushback is because you've held these stances for so long and you were told one thing, you thought one thing, you believed one thing, it was a fact. And now people are challenging it. And that doesn't make the people who are challenging it right or wrong, by the way. But that's where I think the the eye test and the analytics thing kind of diverge is that when you start to question the legacies of players who were people cherished to watch, in a sense, or their NBA icons, and you're beginning to, again, challenge their position of where they stand in the Pantheon, now you have people who are automatically going to now look to the to the current players and say, well, this player is just viewed highly because, oh, his average ranks in, you know, PI, PIMP or P, PIPM, oh, wow, um, and TPA and VORP and, and all that stuff is, is in the top 15. That seems to be where – that seems to be a, a driving factor for me. It's still a good question. I don't actually know that there's an answer. I think the best – basketball analysts or I don't even want to say the best I think common sense enthusiasts know that you need a little bit of everything mixed in and I think that Clay Thompson is a good example of that where some of the defensive metrics don't always love him but we know that he's a really good basketball player and a good one-on-one defender so I I think that there there needs to be a balance and there'll always be this push and pull but as long as analytics are challenging what we thought we know about certain other players particularly those icon types this is the kind of just polar opposite chemistry that's going to exist yeah i I was going to tweet something like this the other day i just never did but there with every single catch-all metric just about every time i look stuff up there's something that doesn't look right to me um like russell westbrook being the all-time leader for single season box plus minus um and and by a significant margin that's one example of where i'm like Okay, that that number doesn't quite line up with what I saw that season. Um, so I think you have to have at least some grains of salt when you look at stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm going to trust numbers like that and real plus minus and um, player impact plus minus a lot more than like random Twitter guys eye tests. Uh, generally speaking. Generally speaking, those numbers match what I think a lot more than the guy who's um, right. I mean, especially when they're throwing out 
total points scored yes. visuals. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah, some of this stuff is just crazy. You should have seen how many people were telling me yesterday that Kobe Bryant's better than LeBron. Um, Kobe Bryant is probably a top 15 to 20 player in the history of basketball, which is insane when you consider how many people have played basketball, have played in the NBA. Um, he's just not in the conversation with Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and it shouldn't be an insult <laughs> to point that out. Um, all right, next one comes from Cashley at C-A-S-H-L-J-11. Who wins the East? We've yeah. already hit on this. Yeah, I mean, if, is your pick – we both picked the Raptors at the beginning of the season. Is your pick still Toronto? Mine has changed. I think I'm going Milwaukee now. Although I think those two teams both have very strong cases. Um, I think Philadelphia has a decent case now, and I think Boston has a decent case. I would put Tier 1, Milwaukee, which is my pick, in Toronto, and then Tier 2 would be Boston and Philly. And I actually think I might have Philly slightly ahead of Boston, um, even with Boston beating the Sixers without Kyrie recently. I'm... I agree with everything you said, except I would have, if I, including how you built the tiers, but I would, I think I'm still picking the Raptors. I think there's just a, maybe we're too late into the season to say this, but I think they're going to be one of those teams that gets better by playoff time. They've dealt with a ton of injuries, including uh, Van Vliet. And now you're working in Mark Gasol, which is, which has gone swimmingly, by the yeah. way. I'm interested to see uh, what, his, they have some interesting things to juggle, particularly when we're looking long-term at how they're going to close games and he's not going to be someone who they use as a, a reserve all the time. I, I wouldn't think, I just think Kyle Lowry's going to shoot better. This can't be a season long thing. Maybe the one concern is that they go to such great lengths to let, um, to let Leonard be Leonard on offense and it, where he's existing outside of their offense, almost when he's scoring, perhaps that's something to, to monitor the, the Bucks Certainly you could pick either one. And I think it's fine, but I, I, I have a feeling that Toronto hasn't yet peaked and that their pinnacle may end up being higher than Milwaukee's slash anyone else's in the East. I get We haven't really seen them fully healthy. We certainly haven't seen them fully healthy with Mark Gasol. Um, and I, you know, I, like I said, they're in that same tier as Milwaukee to me. And I think they could be really, really good. Um, a presumed, I don't know if they'll ever make the switch to Gasol starting at the five, um, but a lineup of Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, and Marc Gasol could be really, really interesting. And if he's uh, not, if they're not going to move him into the starting lineup, it almost makes the problem I outlined before easier, where there are probably teams that are hoping they they feel like they have to go big because of Gasol, but if they're not afraid to leave him on the bench down the stretch – of tight games in the postseason that almost benefits the Raptors because if you, yeah. that they could do that with Jonas Valanciunas, Mark Gasol is, he's still viewed as that star type and, and what should in theory make it more difficult to do that. But if it's not, then that doesn't, then he's truly only elevated their ceiling. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, this one's kind of ties in with that. This is from at upcoming schedule at quick timeout. Worst Eastern Conference matchup for the Warriors. I, we, I mean, we kind of talked about this with the Bucks and the Raptors. Who's the biggest? Uh, it's kind of hard to make a like one choice. I think they pose similar matchup problems. Although I don't think anybody had. No other team has Giannis, 
Um, that is true. So that to me is like kind of a trump card for Milwaukee. Although, you know, Kawhi's been to the very, very top. And if he's fully healthy and engaged in the playoffs, um, I don't think he's far behind Giannis. Philadelphia is interesting to me just because their starting lineup is so stacked. Um, and so they're kind of similar to Golden State in that way. They're, they're not obviously as stacked as the Warriors are, but that's a really, really good <laughs> starting five. And then they have a center who can really force the Warriors to defend inside. Um, I, it's really hard to pick one. I guess if I was on the spot, I'd probably say Milwaukee just because I don't think I don't think anyone has an answer for Giannis this season. Um, Especially, he's quietly shooting almost 35% from three over his last 21 games since about the new year. I didn't realize that. Um, on 2.6 so attempts, which is... That's, um, Zach Lowe on a recent podcast put it this way, and I thought it was funny but also true. He just kind of dribbles until he's within arm's length of the hoop, and then he dunks it. There's there's very few defenders who can prevent him from doing those things, um, and if you know, on the off chance that they do prevent it, he's got Brogdon who's shooting forty percent from three. Middleton's a good shooter. Bledsoe's been a good shooter this year. He's got options to kick out to. Um, I'm 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 going to go with the Bucks here. I I think I would say the Bucks too, even though I picked the Raptors to come out of the East, and I probably would have picked the Raptors a while back, but. There's the Bucks just have so much length and not as many wings, but the ones that they do have are higher impact, I would say. And it's it, it you can get into a point where I think in the Warrior series, there's a real chance that you play Marcus All and maybe even Serge Ibaka off the floor. And I don't know that Milwaukee has that player. There's Brook Lopez that maybe you could play him off the floor, but you're not looking at anyone else as key to as critical to Milwaukee who would get played out of that series. And I don't know how often Milwaukee has done this uh, so far this season, but if they do get to a point where they can't quite keep up with Lopez, um, Giannis at the five minutes could be really interesting in a series against the Warriors. Particularly now with Miritich on the roster. They yeah. have played Giannis at center for 194 possessions this year. Uh-huh. Uh, last year, those minutes were a disaster. This year, they're, they've been a plus 4.4 points per 100 possessions with a defensive rating of 104.3. So that's really solid. If you can survive those minutes, that's yeah. that's big time. All right, one more Eastern Conference question before we kind of switch gears. Are the Celtics better without Kyrie? And somebody asked me this on a different tweet yesterday or, or posed this um and I just posted the on-off splits, which are clearly in, in Kyrie's favor. Um, they're plus 10.2 points per 100 possessions, 94th percentile when he's on the floor, and plus 1.6 points per 100 possessions, 63rd percentile when he's off. But this morning, um, I dug into it a little bit deeper, and I just looked at the games that he doesn't play at all. Um, and when, when he doesn't play at all, Boston's nine and two with a ten, with a plus ten point differential. Uh, when he plays, they're twenty eight and nineteen with a plus five point six point differential. Um, and this is something a lot of people have pointed out. And you know, take it for what it's worth. In the games where Kyrie doesn't play at all, Hayward in twenty seven minutes a game averages sixteen points, five rebounds, and four assists. Shoots fifty four percent from the field, thirty eight from three, and ninety one from the line. Um, 
I, I don't think there's an argument that like, hey, we should let Kyrie go so Gordon Hayward can average four more points per game. Um, but it is interesting that he plays better when Kyrie doesn't play. And the other, the other element to this before I throw it back to you is here's the teams they've played in their 9-2 um, 11 games without Irving. The Pelicans, mediocre. The Timberwolves, mediocre. Dallas, mediocre. Cleveland, bad. Brooklyn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I would say Brooklyn, pretty good. Um, Charlotte, mediocre. Cleveland, bad. Philadelphia, good. Um, Detroit, mediocre. Utah, early in the season, um, when they were, I, I would say, maybe slightly above average, and then Brooklyn. The, the two losses are Utah early in the season, and then Brooklyn in January. But other than that, it hasn't exactly been like uh, a world-beating schedule they've had to face when Kyrie's out. It's those Sixers games. Most, yeah. Basically the most recent one. Look, here's the thing for me with the Celtics. I don't think – they're not better off without Kyrie Irving. And I, I was one of Kyrie Irving's biggest critics earlier in his career. And I think maybe I, along with so many other people, were too hard on him. But I do think he's he's just much better with the Celtics. His decision-making on offense for the most part – He's played harder on defense. So the criticisms that existed before were fair. The issue with the Celtics is that they have, and we we gave them so many props for this earlier, and now it might be time to eat crow. They almost have just too much talent, and not enough of it is complimentary. They're not built for anyone outside of Kyrie Irving to be that offensive hub or to be comfortable in his own skin. And so, of course... I actually just dropped a big piece on Jason Tatum today. Of course, Jason Tatum's going to stand out more when Kyrie Irving's not on the floor. It's not just him. It's everyone else. It's Jalen Brown uh, playing for his extension. Terry Rozier playing for his next contract. Uh, It's Gordon Hayward needing touches and and trying to get back to uh, his previous form. You, you throw all that together and it just becomes hard for more than one player to establish that clear offensive identity. If you want to talk about whether Boston is harder to match up with defensively without Kyrie on the floor, and I know people have talked about this, that's fine. But to say that they're better off overall without him, I think it really is an unfair question. And it's more just if you took, you know, and we, we haven't seen it. If you took Jason Tatum out of the lineup for a long stretch, Gordon Hayward's probably going to play better. At yeah, this point, anyway, too, yeah. is what I would chalk it up to. And so that's what it seems. They're so bogged down with talent, which sounds like such a stupid thing to say. But all that talent, it's not complimentary. And none of these players, you know, this wasn't a James Harden, Chris Paul situation last year where CP3 was ready to cede control to Harden and otherwise has no choice because he's injured every five seconds. This is, we're talking about guys who are in their prime or haven't even entered their prime yet. So they're not, their play styles are not going to be founded upon appreciable sacrifice. And that's just where I'm at with the Celtics. They're going to be more dangerous than anyone, probably if it comes together, but the nature of their beast sort of infers that it's not ever going to come together. Not in the way that we all expected prior to the season. And we all deserve to, Anyone who thought that the Celtics were just going to rip off 55, 60 victories, just looking back, I don't know how we thought. And I was definitely within that crowd, even though both you and I picked Toronto to come out of the East head of the season. We had to know that Gordon Hayward's learning curve was going to be extensive. I just don't understand why. It seems like everyone collectively glossed over that. Maybe someone will check the receipts for me, but I feel like I was uh, like – 
somewhat lukewarm on the Celtics. So I'm going to take a victory lap on that right yeah, now. Yeah, you only predicted 65 when everyone was predicting 67 wins. Every every time I see that Bill Simmons clip of him, like, he's, he's essentially leaning into the microphone on the Jalen and Jacoby show, talking about how they're going to win 67 games and a bunch of people are going to set out fourth quarters, a lot of high fives. That uh, that clip makes me so happy. You know, right? I do have the receipts for both of us, though, and we come, okay. off, we come off looking equally smart and stupid. They're over oh, under leading into the season fifty seven point five. Both of us picked the under. We oh, also good. both put them as the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Hey, that's still not out of the question, right? How far back are they of uh, Toronto? I would think too far. Aren't they four games back, five games back? That deficit's not being made up. Toronto would have to fall off a cliff. Let me see. Let me see. They are five point oh, yeah. five games back at Toronto. Dang it! Oh well. They could uh, catch. Uh, they catch the Pacers though. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm uh, I'm at least when you started to say their over under is fifty seven and a half, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I didn't take the over. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I right, have the, written down next to your name way over. Exactly <laughs> what you said. Grayson Bell at Grayson T Bell. Start your franchise today with Towns or Gobert. This one's pretty obvious to me. I'd pick Jokic. <laughs> Between Towns and Gobert. Yeah, I'd pick Jokic. Don't give me either of them. <laughs> I'd pick Jokic too. Um, maybe maybe this guy is uh, asking me this question because I've tweeted so much about Gobert over the last couple of days. But Gobert is, uh, I think he's comfortably better than Towns right now. But Carl Anthony Towns is is what twenty two, twenty three years old. Um, can shoot threes. He can play make a little bit. Um, yeah, Towns is twenty three years old. Uh, this to me is is pretty clearly. Carl Anthony Towns. He he just has a complete game already. Yeah, I, I don't even think it's I don't even think that's really a question to be honest. Doug Dimadome at the Effin Siege. <laughs> will the Pelicans find a way to shut AD down this season? How will the NBA react to that? And could Drew Holiday possibly see hardened levels of usage if that does happen? I think they will at some point. He just had the shoulder injury. Well, on Thursday night, I don't know when it's going to happen, but no one is coming out of this looking rosy right now. Not the NBA, not the Pelicans, not Anthony Davis. It's in everyone's best interest for him to just go away at this point. And it's it's fully within Davis's rights because this is a player driven league and he had the leverage to request a trade. That being said, he asked for out in the middle of a contract. The Pelicans should not be forced to play him over doing what's best for the team. And people are so quick to point out that they botched rebuilds and retools around him more than a few times. This short circuits their rebuild now by playing him. Even if he's going to win them games, how many games it remains to be seen, but he's going to hurt their lottery odds if you have to play him. And so now you're compromising yet another restructuring period for them. It just really doesn't make sense. And there's clearly that superstar double standard because I know people use J.R. Smith as an example, but it seemed like he and the Cavs were in agreement that he would just be away from the team. Chandler Parsons didn't want to leave the Grizzlies, and they just were like, eh, and, yeah. and it didn't matter. So, if and if I were the Pelicans, this is one of the things that Jeff Van Gundy, when he went on that, what was it? It was the Pelicans. Who were they playing? They actually ended up winning that game where Davis didn't play in the fourth quarter. But he was just going not- on 
he was going on a bunch of Anthony Davis rants. And the one that I agreed with is that the Pelicans should have just sucked up the two point seven or two point eight million dollars, whatever it would have been, uh, worth of fines to to leave Anthony Davis on the bench for the rest of the year. Yeah, I might agree with that. Um, I understand the NBA's concern because I don't, I don't think you want to set a precedent of like top ten players just saying bye if they don't get their way and get traded <laughs> when they signed a contract. Um, and I'm sure Kawhi Leonard's in, in, injury was real last year, but I also think, um, I also think he kind of set that precedent that if you don't get your way, you can just sit the season out, and maybe Anthony Davis is going to do the same thing now. Um, but Davis said he wanted to play. It was di- it was almost that they went to the league. Uh, Rich Paul did and made it clear that Davis wanted to play. It's like what I don't. Is this- I don't know who to believe at this point. That's fair. Uh, okay, fair. Point. And I. You know, with as crazy as this whole situation's been, I don't even know how seriously to take last night's shoulder injury. The video of him and Rich Paul walking out um, in the middle of last night's game, like leaving the building, I just thought, wow, that is so weird. Um, it's 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 almost reached like Kawhi levels of weirdness already, where I just don't really know what's going on. Um, but I, I think that the league is probably worried about star players just sitting out entire seasons and then that would be a problem (laughs) for them um but like you said anthony davis signed a contract nobody forced him to sign there for four years um you know he could have negotiated a shorter contract if it was a three plus one he would have had all the leverage as opposed to a four plus one um most americans don't work (laughs) on contracts but these guys are fortunate enough to have contracts that are sometimes pretty long and pay them ridiculous amounts of money um, this, this situation is just crazy. I think they'll use something like this shoulder injury to shut him down. Because if you have an injury that you can, you can peg his absence to, um, then maybe you avoid the fine. Uh, I don't know if the, the league would probably want some kind of evidence that this is a legitimate, like season ending shoulder injury or something like that. But like you said, I think they're going to figure out a way to shut him down at some point. Um, as for Drew Holiday, when Davis is off the court, he averages about three more points, um, one fewer assist. His shooting numbers are about the same. So I don't, I don't know if we'll see a significantly different Drew Holiday. Um, Julius Randle might be the primary beneficiary of that. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and Jaleel Okafor had a fun little week or two stretch without Davis, but I think you're probably right. Julius Randle would probably be the guy that sees the biggest boost. Um, let's see. Santi Sembe. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, S S A N T I S E M B E. Who's your MVP so far, and why? I don't. Uh, I go back and forth between James Harden, James Harden, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis has had by far the more complete body of work, but just the burden that James Harden has to carry on a team that is just not good really yeah. i know that the on off numbers are wonky but i think it it's it's pretty clear that the rockets would be he's playing james harden is playing so many minutes um that the possessions the rockets do tally without him not that they're not important but it's going to be easier to, to skew that data it's tough for me i think zach lowe was right when he said that paul george is officially in the conversation 
in that top three ballot. I'm still trying to decide between James Harden and uh, Giannis, and I'm I'm reticent to make a pick now because I feel like I'm I'm just going to change it. As of today, uh, Paul George is first in the NBA in real plus minus, um, and he's been first in real plus minus wins for a while. To to me, it's a toss up between Giannis and James Harden. Um, I still think Paul George is on a tier slightly below those two, although he's he's closing in rapidly. Um, and I honestly, if someone told me Harden, I wouldn't have any problem, but I'm probably going to go Giannis right now. Um, like I said earlier, he's on a just historically dominant team and he's averaging 27, 13, six, uh, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks, true shooting percentage over 60. Um, just the dominant force on on one of the more dominant teams in the history of the game. So that's my pick. But like I said, if somebody says Harden, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't argue with him really at all. I mean, he's got a very, very strong case. I think I would lean Gian, uh, Giannis too. And I don't default to this, but Atentacuba might just benefit from the default voters as well, where it's best player on the team with the best record. And that yeah. could help his case. If we're trying to figure out who's actually going to win. However, and Zach Lowe pointed this out in his podcast too. I I, I don't want to be feel like we're recapping his podcast, but if Harden finishes the season averaging thirty six point six points per game or anything close to it, like he is now, I, I feel like it'll almost be a lock that he wins. Not that he would be my pick, but to have points averaged more than thirty five points, more than thirty six points a game for the entire season, and to have that stretch that he did, and to have the thirty game point game scoring 30 points per game streak that he's on that might just sew it up for him knowing how much that fans who don't have a say in this but also media and just and just anyone who watches basketball in general does value scoring and he has that he has that other narrative where it's he's lifting up a team that would be truly terrible without him yeah points are a very compelling argument for a lot of people um this isn't Totally related to the discussion, but he's taking thirteen point six threes a game. That's just crazy. I it's it's nuts. And they're what are they? They're all step backs basically. So Yeah, I would say at least half gotta be step backs. It's just uh, it's it's absurd. And the season he's having, I mean it, it's it's just absolutely nuts. Somebody pointed this out to me the other day, and I'm gonna see if it's still true. Um Curry has the record for most threes in the season, that 402 that he hit in 2015-16. And when when Curry only hit 320 the next year, I thought, well, his 400 season's never going to get touched. Um, But right now, let's see what Harden's on pace for. Harden's, he's on pace for 418. Has he missed any games this season? Yeah, he's missed four, I think. Oh, okay. So he's on pace for right around 400. So... He's missed three. I was close. So still probably right around 400, a little little over 400 is his pace. Um, that's that's crazy. He might break that Stephen Curry record of 402 threes in a season. Um, and, and probably like 200 of them will be step backs. It's just – it's. Um, he needs to start. If he's within – like if there's three games to go and he's like 25 away, he just needs to bomb away. It needs to He needs to aim for 10 made threes a game. Well, I, I think you're, yeah, you're right about that. But also, I bet you his pace has increased significantly over the last um, 
few weeks. So, so if he just keeps going at the pace that he's gone since, I'll say, the middle of December. Yeah, when did Paul go down? It was after, it was after the Miami game, right? So since December 17th, he's taking 15.8 threes per game. And since the <laughs> since the twenty second, which is twenty six games, he's making six threes per game. Yeah. Okay. So if he keeps up at that pace, as opposed to the season long pace, um, and he doesn't miss any more games, he's he's going to break that record. That's just crazy. It's a good point. Um. All right. Let's see. Uh, at Daily Dope, D A Y L E Y Dope. If the Knicks don't get Durant, who should they sign to bring them back to relevance? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're going to max out Bojan Bogdanovich is what's going to end up happening if they don't. Here's the thing with the Knicks and this free agency class. And I feel like I've had a touch upon this every podcast now since they made the Porzingis trade. But if they're not getting Durant, who are they getting? Is Kyrie Irving going to New York without Durant? I had a name just just pop into my head when I read this question this morning that I hadn't thought of before. Who? What if they get Boogie Cousins? That'll be a disaster. Boogie Cousins and Mitchell <laughs> Robinson. I don't know why you would do that. But but if they wipe if they if they whiff on everyone else and they max out Boogie, oh that that would just be like the ultimate like seven or eight months of And that's Nick. And that's again why you don't clear the cap space until you absolutely need it. <laughs> yeah. Just because I don't think their eggs are all their eggs are in the Durant basket. I don't, you know, Clay Thompson isn't leaving the Warriors. Maybe you could poach Jimmy Butler from the Sixers, but that would just have shades of of Amari Stoudemire in 2010 with all the mileage he has and the problems he's he's dealt with with his knees. People might make the same argument for Kyrie Irving, but he's he's younger. So if you don't get Durant, you don't get Kyrie. Is just and then who else? Who else is there? Are you going to try and? max out Tobias Harris, the Sixers might even just come over the top and give him a fifth year in that yeah. situation. And if you went through all these, jump through all these hoops to only then go and max out Tobias Harris and nor Chris Middleton, who again is another player where his own team might just max him out anyway, then you've, you've royally fucked up. This is just, I don't know if, if they don't get Durant, the Knicks will not be coming back to relevance next season. They could win the lottery as well and get Zion in that case, but it'll take a little while for them to get there. They've gone the Durant or bust route. And now it's just a matter of seeing whether it works out for them. All right, let's do some rapid fires. Um, this is from at Raja King Singh. Uh, what do you think about buddy healed one trick pony? Or are you impressed by his ability to get to the rim? Um, That's like such a loaded question. It's, it's so specific too. Heald drives four and a half times per game, and he doesn't have a great field goal percentage out of drives, 43.8. I I really, really like Buddy Heald, and I don't think he needs to be much more than a spot-up shooter um, on the Kings. De'Aaron Fox gets to the rim pretty much at will, so you need a a great shooter for kickouts for him, and that's what Buddy Heald has been. And I think Bagley um, is another guy who can sort of draw the defense Inward, Bogdanovich can do that a little bit too. Um, I, I'm totally fine with Buddy Heald just being one of the best spot-up shooters in the league, and that's that's what he's been this season. What I would say is that his his pull-up shooting is what might be most underrated about him. So it's not even just being a spot-up shooter. He's, he's a good 
pull-up shooter. He's averaging more pull-up jumpers uh, than anyone else on the Kings, and that includes De'Aaron Fox. And his effective field goal percentage is almost 50, which is totally fine for that scenario. He's shooting 40.3% on pull-up three-pointers this year. And again, he attempts more of those than anyone else on the Kings. So he is more than one trick pony. Um, at 979 underscore 997. Um, so we've already kind of answered this, but seeing as my Rockets don't want to play defense this year, who do you think has the best chance to challenge Golden State? And I'm going to modify his question. Because we already did Eastern Conference, let's let's see who we think is the best out of the West to challenge the Warriors. This is it. Doesn't seem like there's a real threat to them, right? In the West, right now, I would probably I, say I would probably say OKC. I was going to say OKC too. Um, maybe maybe Houston will find last year's level in the playoffs um, if Harden can keep doing what he's doing through the playoffs. Chris Paul, like gets right, um, Capella's healthy, maybe they challenge him again. But I, I think I like OKC's ceiling a little bit better. Um, Especially if Paul George is going to play like he is now. Yeah, he's been unreal uh, for a month or two. Really all season, but lately it's just been insane. Um, at P-A-G-D-O-L-O-R-E-S, Pag Dolores, do you think the Kings will make the playoffs? And this is basically asking, do you think the Lakers are going to miss the playoffs? Yeah. Um, the Clippers are still kind of there, although I don't think they care. So we can probably write them out. Um, I no, want still, that Jermichael Green Garrett Temple trade was a stroke of genius. <laughs> I want the Kings to make the playoffs. Um, I think I still have to lean towards the Lakers just because maybe at some point LeBron's like, I'm not, we're not going to make this unless I activate playoff LeBron. And at that point, it's going to be really hard to hold them off. Um, but I'm going to say no. I do want them to. I just don't think they're going to. Everyone's been wait. I almost want to say yes because everyone's just been waiting for the Kings to fall off this season, and they yeah. they really haven't. Um, the Kings have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way in the Western Conference, and they have That's one of the not, ten. No. What's that? I did. I didn't know that. That changes things a little bit. So, and then the Lakers have the fourth hardest schedule in the Western Conference, the eighth hardest schedule remaining in the league. Interesting. I do keep coming back to, though, that they were hovering around the 4-5 area before LeBron James went down. I know Lonzo Ball's injured. I know they're just a dumpster fire behind the scenes, it seems like. I just, it's tough for me to, and maybe this is stubbornness, uh, but it's tough for me to imagine LeBron James missing the playoffs unless he gets hurt again. Yeah. Um, At Briss Breezy, B-R-I-S-S-B-R-E-E-Z-I. What's the one NBA player you believe would be great that never panned out? Jesus, I don't know. Is this like so off the cuff? Bruno uh, Caboclo. Oh, you were high on him, huh? No, I was making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's, uh, mine will probably forever be Michael Beasley. I thought he was going to be awesome. Why? Because of his crazy college numbers? I don't know. I guess that's a guy who could play multiple positions, averages like 26 and 12 in college. Um, I was very much, and, and I didn't pay as close attention back then as I do now, at least not to the numbers. But I was one of those people that was like, why are they taking Derrick Rose over Michael Beasley? And th- now that question's not. Um, Is it too early to say Markel Fultz? Yeah, I would say so. 
I'm going to say Markel Fultz. <laughs> I was just convinced that he was – I thought the Sixers trade was still sort of weird just to give up that second asset that they did, the Kings pick, which I guess in retrospect is going to end up being like number 16 or 15 or something like that. But to sweeten that deal with that extra asset, to move up the the two spots was always weird. But I was convinced that he was going to be the the best player in that draft, and it wasn't even going to be a question. Two other guys I will always believe in is Barry Parker and Jimmer Fredette. <laughs> um, Scotty Jordan at Reggie on demand. Who won the Paul George trade? We're not. I'm not relitigating this again. So it's just it worked out. Both teams got what they wanted. They both. That was one of the mutually beneficial trades. I think. I think it was mutually beneficial for sure. Last year, I think I would pretty confidently have said Indiana. Um, but I, I don't, you don't get any- to say that anymore because of where the Thunder are. Now Victor Oladipo is not playing. I'm just these relitigating tri- – I know like – I get it, but I also just like – I feel like we've heard the question so much at this point. I, and it's I think What I was going to say is I just – I don't think anybody could have imagined Paul George finding this extra gear. I mean he's always been really, really good. I don't think anybody could have seen it coming where he was like – Defensive player of the year candidate plus 30-point-per-game scorer. And uh, how many threes is he hitting a game? Four or five? Um, About nine, ten, eleven maybe. <laughs> so uh, shout-out to him for finding another level. Um, at Woolsey, W-O-O-L-Z-A-Y. Assuming health, where do you think the Luca Porzingis pick-and-roll uh, slash pick-and-pop duo could rank among the greats? Uh, assuming health... I don't, I don't know where I would put them, like, all time, and I probably can't even put a number on where they would be, you know, in in the current NBA. But if, if those two – if Porzingis is back to full health next season, that's instantly one of the most exciting one-two duos in the league to me. Uh, Luca's having an all-time great rookie season. He's a 6'8 point guard. Um, then you have a 7'3 center slash shooting guard. In Chris Tapp's Porzingis, I don't know how teams are going to defend those two. Um, again, if Porzingis is all the way back to what he was at the beginning of last season, that's I, I can't wait to see what those two look like together. We've I just, know, there's never been a pick and roll combo like that because it's and Luca Luca is going to be the, the unicorn really. They're both if you want to call them both unicorns, but to have someone who can hit step back jumpers like he can is just not someone that you necessarily see running a pick and roll with someone like Kristaps as their number two, who he can be an okay rim runner, but his ability to just pop out of screens and he could stand well behind the three-point line, that's going to be hell to defend. Yeah. All right, last one. At Jimmy Burkholz, at Jimbo underscore Slice underscore 901. What do the Memphis Grizzlies need to do to get out of mediocrity? What would your blueprint be as a GM? Um I, they've already missed two crucial steps if it was my blueprint. They should have traded Tyreek Evans last year and gotten any kind of an asset for him. And they should have traded Mike Conley this year. And they also shouldn't have given up two second-round picks for Justin Holiday. Yeah, seriously. Um, they they should have been in asset accumulation mode for at least the last two seasons. Um, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I think some people could maybe talk themselves into they should have been doing this for two, three, four years. Um, but I, I would say at least the last two seasons, they should have been seeing what they could get in terms of assets moving forward. They have a great cornerstone building block piece in Jaron Jackson. Um, 
but after that, there, there's really nothing super exciting. Kyle Anderson is still young-ish, um, so maybe he can be a part of the next wave when they're good again. Um, but I, I, I think they've already kind of blown what my blueprint would have been, which is you know get as many assets as you can for these guys while they still have some value. Yeah, I'm with you. And if there's a more specific blueprint, it's basically trade everybody except for Jared Jackson. And because this is how you get yourself into trouble. If you talk yourself into having Kyle Anderson, if you say, oh, um, DeLon Wright isn't going to cost that much to retain and we're going to keep Balanchunas, you have these guys and they're going to add wins to your tally. We don't know what's going to happen with their pick to Boston this year, top eight protected. If you were them, would you want that to convey this year? Or would you want to get that pick this year? Yeah, that's a tricky question because I don't I don't think this draft is super deep. Um, so if you don't end up in like the top three or four, then you might want Boston to take it. Yeah, this year. I, I'm actually that's- of the mind that I don't know that I don't know that they'll actually convey the pick, but you want it to convey this season, given what we know about yeah. the draft. But it's time like Jared Jackson Jr. needs the keys, and their next step is probably Mike Conley has to be traded over the off season. Yeah, I was going to say there's still time to do that. They just need to do it this summer. And their books, if they if they get rid of him and don't take back money beyond next season, I I don't know how valuable cap space is going to be to a team like them. But then you're talking about there's basically no one on the books for the summer of 2020. Then, yeah. So that's just gives them extra room. And though because they're in a small market, I think they need to be open to taking on those deals that do extend into 2020, 2021, because odds are you're not going to hit a big in free agency and you're not going to be fantastic that year. Anyway, I understand the realities of being in that smaller market to where they can't tank, but they have to be open. Like their asset chest, they need to restock it. And if that involves taking on money for 2020, 2021, if it's greased with the right combination of picks and prospects, they are a team that needs to explore that. Absolutely agree. Um, I think that wraps us up. For today unless there's anything else you wanted to hit on before i do this uh amazing wrap-up that i always do nope i'm ready for your wrap-up <laughs> um thanks as always for all the questions we sincerely appreciate them uh this is always one of my my favorite um type episodes to do so thanks for your participation if we didn't get to your questions i apologize um hopefully you'll you'll keep trying and we'll get to them next time Uh, As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you've already done that. Share it with your friends and family. Uh, We would really, really appreciate that. Um, If you want to find Dan on Twitter, he's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. And as always, until next time, we leave you with the shout out to former Grizzly Beno Udri and current Grizzly Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.